In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis of all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein. Today, I'm joined by my colleague, my veteran colleague, James Salzer, who's kind of becoming a regular on the show. Welcome, James. As always. (laughs) So we're going to talk about the week that was and, of course, a very busy week to come in in the uh, Georgia political scene. But first, let's talk about what we just saw. Um, and, you know, it struck me, and not, not that we needed another example, but it still was. We had, a very, we had a couple really good examples of how fast social media is shaping up and shaking up these races for higher office in Georgia. Uh, two different things. And the first one kind of broke over the weekend. Um, and this is just a weird, bizarre scenario, because this was a supporter of Stacey Abrams attributing an erroneous quote to her. This, this started at this private event at the Moms Demand Action Gun Sense University Conference. These are a lot of activists, that, a group that kind of sprung up after the Newtown uh, massacre uh, at the school in Connecticut. Uh, and they're really trying to foster a sort of different generation of, of candidates who support um, gun control or what they call gun safety measures. Um, well, the, the, or, the group's founder, Shannon Watts, tweeted at this private event that Abrams told the crowd, quote, we're not going to allow guns for any, anyone, anywhere, anytime. So you can imagine how just seconds <laughs> later, seconds later, yeah. um, uh, you know, gun rights groups, Second Amendment groups, Republicans just seized on this tweet. They quickly screenshotted it and just tweeted it out over and over and over again, um, saying that, uh, you know, this is, this is, this is sort yeah. of their opponent. It adds, yeah, I was going to say it adds to, the, I mean, the, the Republican theme of this election is going to be we're going to hear over and 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 over how radical Stacey Abrams is. And so this kind of plays into um, their notion of what radical is and, and, and you know, that, that she wants to do something radical about guns and take everybody's gun away from them. But the difference here is that it wasn't some you know, outside group, some Republican right. or conservative right. group trying to – this was one of her own supporters who just bla- – who just, uh, you know, I don't took know. took a shotgun and shot herself in the foot, right? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> um, because um, we had to get the audio of, of the uh, of behind-the-scenes meeting. Um, but what Abrams actually said was – here's her quote. There are those of us who are told that our paths are going to be blocked by barriers that are created by folks, not ourselves, that because we are women, because we are people of color, because we are poor, because we believe that the right to bear arms does not mean the right to bear arms everywhere, anytime, anywhere. We are told that our beliefs are permanently off the table. 
So a very different yeah. sort of angle. And that's something that she's kind of echoed uh, over the last year or so at this race. Right. A little bit less radical than uh, than the original quote. Yeah. Um, but just to be clear, her, her stance on, on guns um, is, you know, does depart from, I guess, your standard Georgia Democratic convention. Right. Which is kind of happening all over the country. I mean, a yeah. lot of these candidates, I was just listening to a story today about how which state it was. I think it might have been Minnesota, um, but uh, a governor there who had taken, I think, $18,000 from the NRA and had uh, – talked about his support for their NRA in the past this year to win the nomination he you know he said well you know the, some of the school shootings have helped have you know changed my mind about the NRA a little bit uh, or maybe their reaction to those um, so he gave the eighteen thousand dollars to charity and you know swore off support from the NRA he won um, so I mean that's just one example of of uh, candidates who got support from the NRA in the past. I, I want to say that the, this story said there was 20 congressional House members who had received support from the NRA in the, in, in the past election. It was, there, were, there were three this year. Huh. And one of, the, one of the arguments is that the, that the NRA has become more um, partisan than it has in the past. I don't know that to be true. But, um, but we know in Georgia they, they endorsed Casey Cagle, of course. They haven't endorsed Brian Kemp um, yet. Yet. And, yeah, um, but th- one 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 check you will not be seeing in Stacey Abrams' campaign contributions right. <laughs> is one from the NRA. Uh, she wants to repeal the campus carry law that was adopted last year, um, and she wants she supports universal background checks for private sales and firearms, and other um, other other efforts to to do what she says, which is uh, gun safety efforts, is what she calls them. Um, so that was one piece of social media news that was not true. Now, one that was true was another interesting one. We started seeing in, uh, invites, screenshots of invites for a fundraiser um, scheduled in a few days um, to support Brian Kemp. One of the interesting names on the co-host list was the Atlanta Braves. It was a double header last Monday, so it took the Braves a little a little longer than usual to respond to my request for, for comment, but they, they finally did, and they said, indeed, yeah, the, the Braves were co-hosting. Two home um, runs from Acuna that day, I believe. Yes, there was. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but the Braves were indeed hosting that fundraiser, and that sparked a, a very visceral backlash among the Braves. There's lots of threats on social media to boycott the Braves if they weren't going to you know, do the same thing for Stacey Abrams. Now, part of um, the Braves' statement was essentially that uh, Abrams had not yet asked their support and that they would they would be happy to support her if they're so uh, requested. Yeah, well, the, one of the side elements, I mean, there's many things interesting about that. Um, one, obviously, is that I think, I think any um, uh, sports franchise in Atlanta is going to be sensitive to coming down to strongly on one side or the other in this race. Um, they have obviously they have fans that that uh, you know are going to support Stacey Abrams. They have fans are going to support Brian Kemp. The other thing I thought about when I read that was that um, the Atlanta Braves uh, chief um, lobbyist at the Capitol is Trip Martin, who is uh, one of the uh, the top lobbyists at the Capitol. Has got one of the longest lists of clients you're ever going to see, and um, was among the biggest supporters of Casey Cagle. Um, in the Republican race, and in fact, I wrote a story I don't know a month ago or, or so ago that he that 24 of his clients had contributed to Cagle's campaign besides his own uh, lobbying firm. So um, 
you know, it, it, it's it's pretty clear that he's he's on uh, he's you know um, trying to win the support of Kemp now as well. Oh yeah, and the Braves were one of those um, clients because the Braves spent I think it was eleven thousand dollars on Cagle's campaign. Mm-hmm. They also donated uh, thousands of dollars to to. Governor Nathan Deal's re-election campaign in 2014, as well as his first election campaign in 2010, did not donate to either Democrat in those races. They had donated to Stacey Abrams' legislative campaigns when she was running for a state house seat, about $750 over two years. But look, I mean, uh, usually sports teams don't like to play politics, but in the case of the Atlanta Braves, which had that controversial move from the city of Atlanta to Cobb County, where they had to rely on Cobb County tax dollars to help with trans transportation projects and, and other amenities around the stadium. Uh, being politically connected can pay off. Yeah, and um, it also cost the uh, chairman of that commissional election. It did, because uh, of course that that vote was done without a a countywide referendum on using those yeah. those, those local uh, taxes to help the Braves out with their publicly funded, partly publicly funded stadium. Yep. And one other kind of interesting development that kind of blew up, Randolph County is the small 7,000-person county in southwest Georgia um, that uh, is predominantly African-American, about 60% black. About one-third of the residents live live below the poverty line. Well, the county um, uh, elections officials there came up with this plan to close down seven of the nine polling places in the county after – they had all, the same, same polling places have been used in the May primary and the July runoff. And so a lot of folks are scratching this saying, okay, why do you want to close these down before the November right, vote? Right. And, 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 and uh, obviously opponents of that can point to a, a long history of various ways that in certain counties um, they've tried to suppress the vote. And, and one of the most common ways I would think in a county like that is um, make it more difficult to get there. Um, or, or you know, limit the number of places that are going to be open. I, I don't think this certainly is not a um, you know the first time something like this has happened. Um, but the timing is just you know um, there, there's there's so many things you could read into the timing of this going on, um, this election this time. Yeah. So we have um, it, it's a it's obviously a rural county with no mass transit. Uh, of the, of the seven polling precincts that would be closed down, one of them is 96 or 97 percent African American. And the voters who packed a recent meeting uh, with the elections board uh, raised a number of complaints, including one that if you close this down and people don't have cars, they'd have to walk, walk not right. just a mile or two, but 10 miles right. uh, plus. Mass, mass transit there is, you know, two-lane highway. So. Yeah. Another interesting development that came from that was Secretary of State Brian Kemp, a Republican running for governor, obviously. His office urged Randolph County to abandon those plans, so they don't want to be caught up in the middle of this. So they're on the record saying that Randolph County um, should drop these plans. Now, they don't have any direct say over it, but of course he is the top elections official in Georgia, and he kind of sets policies. Um, so when he's urging Randolph County folks uh, to, to abandon this plan, then that, that's, that kind of speaks it's, volumes. It's one of those things that, like, I remember when, when uh, Roy Barnes was running against Guy Milner in the 1998 elections, he said, you know, I, I don't, he said, I don't want to be uh, in the, on the front page of the New York Times for all the wrong reasons. And, and my opponent, you know, that would that's what Georgia would be on the on the front page for all the wrong reasons. This is a classic example. I mean, this this would be this is already a national story mm-hmm. um, that they're that they're doing this. And, you know, it, it, it would just be an ongoing, huge national story 
if they go ahead and eliminate these uh, precincts. And it, that you know makes it makes you wonder what, whether they're actually going to go forward with it. Yeah. A couple other huge things that happened over the last week. The city of Atlanta revealed that it is developing an incentive package that could be ten figures, so billions and billions of dollars, um, for for the for a mini city in the middle of downtown Atlanta that could end up becoming a, an attractive. Uh, possibility for Amazon's second headquarters. We'll know more about Amazon's second headquarters by the end of the year, we think. Um, But one very clear signal we got from the governor's office is just because the city of Atlanta is developing its own incentive package doesn't mean state lawmakers are off the hook (laughs) for a special session to hash out billions of dollars in state incentives too. So we could be looking at you know, God knows how much goodies, taxpayer-funded goodies offered at Amazon uh, by the end of the year. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see. I mean, it it, it obviously we we were like one of what five hundred cities or whatever it is. That, um, and you know, the question I had when I read that story is: Is there going to be any money left over uh, at City Hall after the uh, scandal <laughs> <laughs> plays out, <laughs> all the legal bills that they're having to pay out? But yeah, it it you know it, it obviously if that if and if it comes at the end of the year they won't have to have a special session because they'll be coming into session beginning of January you know no matter who the governor is going to be an interesting uh issue is whether the the legislature particularly people from south georgia areas outside of atlanta are going to say you know yeah we're going to give we're going to give a billion dollars or 2 billion dollars in incentives so uh, this company can come to atlanta yeah, it's a, it's going to be a weird dynamic because Amazon has said they want to make their final decision by the end of the year. Who knows if that will be delayed a little bit, but that's what they last said, um, and which means they're likely to narrow down the list of 20 finalists to a handful. If that happens, then uh, Chris Riley, Governor Deal's chief of staff, re- reaffirmed that the governor is ready to call a special session anytime before he leaves office in early January so that uh, these incentives could be hashed out. And exactly what James says, you could have – you know, uh, lawmakers from rural counties in the middle of a heated election season coming back to Atlanta to vote on billions of dollars for a Fortune 10 company for one of the biggest technology behemoths in the in the nation um, to get in goodies to come to Atlanta. And you could also have could also be a tough vote for for you know Atlanta liberal Democrats who you might may want um, Amazon planting roots in Atlanta, but also don't want to be looked at as ignoring infrastructure needs and education needs and. Um, the housing disparity that, that that Amazon sort of brought to Seattle when it exploded there. There hasn't really been a um, clear indication that it'll happen before the elections, though. So it's it, that's you know it, it would it would be interesting, of course, if it happened November seventh. Yeah, they made some kind of announcement of finalists or whatever. And then we have a lame duck session. So uh, clip those words. Let's see if they come true. <laughs> Um, just a few things on the schedule for the coming week. Tuesday at the Georgia Chamber of Commerce's annual Big Shindig in Macon, we're going to have both candidates for governor, not on the stage at the same time, but both kind of sharing the same space, talking with business leaders um, about their economic priorities. And I have a feeling that religious liberty, that film, ta- the tax credits for film and other incentives, and that Amazon will all play huge roles in that debate. And we're going to have pretty much every major business leader and all, all sorts of political leaders on making to hear those candidates. Yeah, it, it'd be interesting because those those are, um, you know, being business leaders are also big contributors and they're people who are, keep a very close eye on what's happening at the state capitol. And um, I'm always interested at those events if 
there is any kind of change at all in, you know, kind of the tenor or the opinion of the candidates, because, you know, these these are people who have been running for you know, the better part of a year, maybe longer, and they've got pretty ingrained positions. Um, Brian Kemp is not going to suddenly say, you know what, religious liberty, you're right, I'm going to veto it. Um, or or uh, Stacey Abrams isn't going to suddenly go, you know, um, I don't really want to expand Medicaid. I mean, you know, they've got pretty strong positions on on things that are, you know, of vital interest to the business community. The probability is you're just going to get, you know, them responding kind of uh, doing their uh, running through their campaign platform. And, and I don't know that there'll be a lot of surprise out of it, but it's but it's an important venue for them. obviously. Yeah. And, and Brian Kemp has some some makeup work to do. I've gotten many a text or note or call from from business leaders who are who are indeed very worried about his support for religious liberty, the the the, the RIFRA bill, um, him and every other Republican except for Clay Tippins in the primary, all pledged to sign that that legislation um, into into law if if it gets to their desks. And of course, Governor Deal vetoed a version of it. We're not going to see him say, "Oh yeah, by the way, that that pledge is off the table now." Whoops! But what we I think we will start to hear some more is maybe some shading of that. Um, of that pledge, because Governor Deal did a little bit of that himself. I asked him the other day what he would tell business leaders who who were worried about Brian Kemp's stance on religious liberty, and he said, "What I'd tell them is that the the oath that Kemp signed was to was to pass and to sign it into law an exact version of the federal RIFRA right. statute, which Deal said, you know, which which is true. He didn't get he that he got that version with a, a few other add-ons that he didn't yeah. like, and he he saw as thinly veiled discrimination. He said, if that's what it what, what this amounts to." Um, you know, it's a lot easier of path for Brian Kemp to, to walk down. Uh, plus, there's all sorts of, you know, questions about whether or not that legislation could even pass in the Georgia General Assembly again, uh, given all the, you know, this has been, what, five years now? Yeah. These proposals have come through. Is, is Speaker Ralston just tired of it and saying, you know, no, you know what? I'm done I'm with done this. With I'm moving on. Well, I mean, you know, and, and um, Brian Kemp's also shown a little bit more, a little bit of flexibility Anyways, I mean, you think about what when he did uh, what he said on the Delta tax. He obviously was against that. Um, you know, wanted to have a Fourth of July um, tax break for guns and ammunition in response to it. Um, and then when the governor, um, you know, pulled a fast one and, and went through with it anyways. Um, uh, you know, he he didn't say that's a terrible thing or, you know, I object to it. He said, you know, he's the governor. He can do what he wants. Um, and I'm supportive of, you know, I'm supportive of the idea after they discussed the fact that it would, you know, possibly bring more flights here from Delta and, you know, this, that, and the other thing, economic development. Um, so he's shown, he's, you know, since the runoff, he's shown a little bit of flexibility yeah. in these kind of things. So you never know. Call it flexibility. You can call it <laughs> a, a, a sort of more centrist appeal, but he's, he's definitely going that route. And we should talk about Stacey Abrams too, because she is, has a very busy week, uh, planned, uh, with stops all over South Georgia and le- ending the week Saturday. You can find me there at, uh, at the Omni Hotel on Saturday, but at the state Democratic Party convention, uh, where she'll be the, the the main speaker after a day of Democratic sort of delegation wrangling. And I, I expect we're going to hear from a lot of state office seekers and, and legislative candidates who all are talking about sort of the party's more progressive pitch in the era of Trump. Right. Except for a few. Except for a few. <laughs> There's a few standouts, and we'll be watching for some of them too, like John Barrow, who we were mentioning all that NRA stuff earlier right, with right. Democrats. 
I, I could I could guess if if John Barrow was still in the U.S. House, he would be accepting checks from right. NRA. But there is, you know, I, I have to say there's a there's a kind of a unanimity. It seems like in terms of Democrats coalescing around Stacey Abrams and and kind of t- tying their wagon to Stacey Abrams the way some Republicans are tying their wagon to Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you didn't have the runoff fight, so you had two months where you didn't have her having to do battle uh, with someone else. To win the nomination, and um, it, it just seems like there is, um, you know, they're they're kind of counting on her um, and and relying on her a lot. Especially Sarah Riggs Amico, the lieutenant governor, gubernatorial candidate for Democrats. Um, she has headlined events with with Stacey Abrams. Uh, they're they're appearing in ads together. Um, we we've seen text messages uh, from from Democratic operatives to to voters saying. Um, support both Abrams and Amico, and so and of, and of course there's history there too. We've got uh, two female candidates for the state's two top offices on the same ballot from a major party on the, for the first time in Georgia history. Right. Well, they've and they've also seen. I mean, they've 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 looked. They've looked at the last several elections, and the one thing you can say about the Republicans in the in in the last you know these statewide races is they have. They have a lot of national Republican organizations, and they have uh, a, a strong. They've always had strong unified message in elections, and there's and there hasn't been a lot of deviation um, among Republicans. And they were in the ticket; they're running as a, as a ticket. Democrats have too, but this seems to be a little bit more. I don't know if it's more cohesive or what you would call it, but there seems to be a. This seems to be a Democratic ticket. Um, in the in the in the vein of the, the last few elections, Republican ticket, where it's where it's you know, she is definitely the leader. She's the she's the uh, the star of the show, and um, everyone's behind her. I think that's an interesting point because look at look back just four years ago, the 2014 race where you had the final ten days of the race, you had Jason Carter on one bus traveling the state. And uh, Michelle Nunn, no, no, the no, Senate no, candidate, yeah. on a, on a diff- different bus. And Republicans have had that issue for a while, too. Deal and, and David Perdue were on separate buses as well. But, but the statewide people were all together. Yeah. I mean, that was – and, and, you know, it's, 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 showed because, it's shown because of the, um, um, the like RGA and some of these Republican organizations just plow money into those races, and they have – the last, you know, four cycles probably or so. And they will continue to plow. Yes, they will. <laughs> One more thing to really watch for this week, and we've kind of, uh, you know, this is this has been on our calendar for a bit, but um, Brian Kemp is going to be in a position that no gubernatorial candidate really wants to be in just a few months before a race, but that is plop in the middle of a courtroom in Gwinnett County Superior Court over a lawsuit that we've told you about and we've reported about it for a while, but um, from a uh, Republican financier up in Tacoa. Um, Rick Phillips, who is suing him over a 500000 loan, he says was not repaid. And this is the same loan, the same money that went for this Kentucky uh, seed crushing plant that was started by a northwest Georgia, northeast Georgia agriculture company that was vastly expanding and thought they had this great opportunity to, to start uh, investing in in, in in this Kentucky canola oil processing plant, and it ended up going um, sour very quickly. And uh, Brian Kemp has tried to. They, they've been back and forth in litigation over this five hundred thousand dollar loan that this this financier says they owe. Yeah, nobody wants to spend their time in court when they're supposed to be campaigning, and and particularly particularly when one of the main lines of attack against your opponent is 
um, is about her finances. I, I would assume he's going to try as much as he can to get this delayed until after the election. Yeah, or to get um, Phillips to, to drop the suit. And Phillips was a supporter of Casey Cagle. Another really interesting side note, Cagle only won two counties. Um, one of them was, was in middle Georgia where there's where Kemp is in the middle of, of this border dispute that has upset people there. But the other one was Stevens County where, where Phillips lives. Um, and he is a big time, um, you know, very, very uh, uh, influential leader there. So it just shows you the depth of, uh, of, of, of influence that one guy can have. Yep. Local politics, all politics is local. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.